Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Elsa Craig, Investment Manager of the International Biotechnology Trust. Elsa joined SV Health Investors in 2006 and became an investment manager for the trust in 2008. Previously, she worked as a research analyst at Bearing Asset Management, covering pharmaceutical and biotechnology stocks. Elsa has a BSc Honours in Biology from the University of Manchester and was awarded the Investment Management Certificate in 2002 and the Securities Institute Diploma in 2007. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Elsa, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. In terms of the wider industry, we, we are often hearing biotechnology and pharmaceutical. What is the actual difference in, in those companies? I guess it depends sort of what hat you're wearing. If you're wearing a capital markets investor hat, you would consider and classify biotech as a subsector of healthcare that's growing faster than healthcare is. So, for example, back in the mid-90s, we saw some new emerging uh, companies like Amgen and Gilead, etc. And they were growing at a much faster rate than the big pharma names like AstraZeneca and Glaxo. And they bunched them together and called them biotech. But if you were wearing an industry hat, you would consider biotech as something to do with innovation in proteins and treating diseases with proteins, i.e. injectable drugs, rather than small white tablets, small molecule compounds. So it sort of depends what hat you're wearing. But the capital markets definition has really taken over. So investment funds that invest in this sector generally look for the higher growth, innovative stocks and expose their shareholders to those names. So with that in mind, the, the biotech sector obviously seems to be very much in vogue at the moment. Is there any particular reason for that? Or is it perhaps because of the fact that uh, this has come into the spotlight during the pandemic? I think um, two reasons, really. So like you said, COVID-19 has really shone a light on the sector. It's been amazing how the sector's come together uh, initially with sequencing the genome, and this is globally, not just uh, US or, or Europe, uh, they managed to sequence the genome of the virus very, very quickly. Um, uh, labs got together and tried to work out various different ways to tackle the pandemic at the time it was an epidemic. Um, and really there are various different approaches. So you can treat the disease once patients have um, been infected, or you can vaccinate patients, people, in advance of a, a, a prospective infection, if you like. And there are hundreds of trials ongoing of both vaccines and therapeutics. And of course, we can't forget things like testing as well. So very, very quick, rapid testing to see if someone's infected or if they have been infected in the past. And so this has all been done within 12 months. And normally vaccines take years to develop. And we're about, in the next few weeks, we're about to hear whether these attempts at developing a vaccine have been successful. So we'll get some phase three results from the likes of Pfizer and Astra um, towards the end of, the, of this year. So that's really exciting. And on the therapeutic side, we've seen some successful drugs be developed and approved already within months, um, like remdesivir, for example, from Gilead. So all of this has really um, shone a light on the sector. It shows just how innovative the sector is, um, how active they are, how, how they can uh, manage to do things in, in super quick time. And then also the regulator, so the FDA in the US has approved drugs very, very quickly 
And so it's really helped improve, if you like, the reputation of the sector as well, which used to have a worse reputation than the tobacco industry. And we've seen that sort of improvement and the relationship with uh, Washington and, and the sector has also improved. So all of these factors, I think, have helped boost the interest within biotech. And, uh, and, and yes, uh, stocks have done well. So with that in mind, and indeed with um, prospects uh, potentially looking up also for the reasons you describe, what, mm-hmm. what are some of the stocks that perhaps are, are looking OK at the moment or have indeed been the stars of the show? Generally, M&A uh, stocks that have been acquired do really well because uh, the acquiring company will pay a premium for that biotech company. For example, Immunomedics, which has worked really well this year, has been acquired by Gilead for $21 billion. They had uh, a highly innovative drug for breast cancer, a form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. And that's a high medical need. And that's areas where investors like to put money to work because they will have pricing power. If there's nothing out there for a patient and then a biotech company innovates something that works and improves survival for say a cancer patient, uh, the price will be high. And that's the deal that the industry has with society in that they will get 10 years patent life approximately free pricing and then after um, that drug goes generic it's effectively free if it's a small molecule for the society forever Um, and then that that sort of business model if you like has enabled the industry to innovate life-saving drugs for the past two decades. And of course it's difficult sometimes to remember that whereas pandemic has been dominating the front pages for the last few months uh, this is a very busy industry which is working on all sorts of very important topics. Exactly. Yeah, to get the economy going again. You know, we really need to see this addressed so people can get back to work. You mentioned M&A. Is that important in the sector, do you think? Oh, very. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we've got these great big bellwether companies like Pfizer and Astra and Glaxo with huge marketing power um, and great global presence. And they need to grow. And in order to grow, they can't just sit on their hands. They've got to grow top line sales. And generally um, what they do is they have internal R&D. But over the years, they've seen that that's not been as productive as acquiring in um, innovative companies. And primarily that's because innovation really starts at universities and, and small companies kind of emerge from that. They start off as private companies and then they list on the stock market. And generally they go to the US to list on NASDAQ because that's where money is and um and you know most investment funds if you like are exposed to sort of 90 percent us stocks and then 10 percent europe for example so that's that's kind of where the industry is the large companies acquire names uh, all the time and if for example they can't increase drug prices which um, they had historically been doing they will look for more growth as well so is it in the uk you mentioned uh the NASDAQ is potentially being a, a shortcut to uh, obviously the ability to, to raise some more money. Is it a fairly vibrant industry or sector within the UK at the moment? We tend to see very innovative areas surrounding universities. So you've got Oxford University and Cambridge University and, and London, and that's where we're seeing a lot of innovation. When they list, i.e. they become public companies, they tend to go over to the US uh, where the funding is. But it's not to say that there isn't a healthy biotech industry here. It just tends to be the more sort of early stage names rather than the more mature companies. Now, obviously, we're, we're right on top of the US presidential election. What sort of impact do you think um, that could have on the sector, either either obviously with the potential outcome of a Republican win or indeed 
as is uh, currently looking likely a Democrat win. Yeah, so it's the way politics works in the US is slightly different to here. Um, they have three pillars of power. They have the Supreme Court, the presidency and Congress. And Congress is made up of two houses, House of Representatives and the Senate. And if you um, compare that to the UK, that's like our House of Lords and, and House of Commons. The power is split between those three hubs. And right now we're up two weeks or so away from the presidential election. And it's not just as easy as saying Republican win or Democrat win. It's whether the, the Senate flips. The House of Representatives is highly, highly likely to stay Democratic. But if the Senate flips to Democratic as well and Biden wins, for example, that's one extreme of the election outcome. And then the other extreme is if the Senate stays Republican, it's currently Republican, and Trump wins again for a second term. So healthcare has always been a big political football going into an election. It was last time. It's less so this time. We're seeing race and COVID-19 specifically rise above healthcare as a, as a, as a topic for debate. But if we take a step back, the Democrats, before Biden was selected as their leader, had proposed something called Medicare for All. And this would have been quite a dramatic change within the healthcare industry over in the US. It would become much more akin to how we pay for drugs in, in Europe, for example. So we have the NHS here. And so Trump won his election on a policy called repeal and replace. And that was to stop ACA, which is the Affordable Care Act introduced by Obama, and try and replace it with something else. Now, he's repealed some aspects of ACA, but has not replaced it with anything. So he hasn't really achieved that much. He's given quite a lot of neg negative rhetoric on pharma. But again, it's been a lot of bark and not so much bite. So if he were to win and keep the Senate, we think more of the same as what he's done, which is to say he's going to do things, but you know, where is the actual substance to that? If Biden were to win, he was instrumental in uh, developing ACA. So because Biden took over as the head of the Democrats, he is very much more sort of middle ground centrist versus his competitors, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who were much more left wing and wanted a Medicare for all type um, industry change. So again, we see him as a sort of much more status quo, rebuilding ACA um, as what it was, but not to say he's, he's probably going to be um, less positive for the industry than the Trump Senate win. But again, most of his voters are from the industry, coastal areas. He obviously understands how important innovation is. So if you stick to sort of investment areas like biotech, those areas we think are, are relatively immune to um, a Democrat Senate and a Democrat presidency. So it's, it's less likely perhaps that the uh, out and out issue of drug pricing reform, which seemed to take centre stage four years ago, uh, will, will have quite the same profile? It's very difficult to get legislation to change in the US because of these three pillars of power, but it will be more likely under a, a Democratic Senate and Biden presidency than, for example, the alternative. But it will be, like I said, they're generally going to try and tackle areas of big spend. So when you look at where money goes to in this massive healthcare spend in the US, which is approaching 20% of GDP, a lot of it goes on nursing homes and hospitals and doctors and only 14% on drugs. So to really move the needle on this huge spend, they're, to try and tackle drug pricing, they're gonna go for the big areas like diabetes, improve access to generic drugs, for example, 
rather than really come down on this slightly, you know, much smaller part of the pie, which is the innovative new drugs coming on the market. Sure. Uh, what are some of the um, demographic changes which, which are driving the way the healthcare industry is moving at the moment? Yeah, so this is kind of going back to geography GCSE. We all know that the population is ageing and those ageing people generally require more drugs. The over 55s, for example, use up half of the healthcare spend. That proportion of the population is expected to double in the next generation. And this has been going on for years. And generally, healthcare outperforms the broader market. And biotech, which is within healthcare, has outperformed healthcare overall. And we've seen that in the past, and it's been driven by the demand for elderly people wanting better drugs, and also there are, there are more of them. And we think that will continue going forward. And then also on, on the sort of supply side, we're seeing because of this huge innovation, many more biotech companies working away, trying to find new drugs for unmet medical needs. More drugs are being approved by the FDA. There are more ongoing, ongoing clinical trials. So um, both of these supply and demand factors make us think that the sector overall should continue to outperform healthcare and continue to outperform the broader market going forward. And presumably, therefore, the, the fact that we've got a number of uh, emerging markets whose own societal access to capital and wealth. Exactly right. That, that too will drive demand for drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Fabulous. Well, unfortunately, that's, um, that's all we've got time for. So thanks again for your time. That was Elsa Craig, the investment manager of the International Biotechnology Trust. And thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast. Mm-hmm.